Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, August 2nd, 2019. And I, look, folks, I apologize. We missed a week here, and that's entirely my fault, not Drew's. It's been seven weeks since Nancy had her back surgery, and we're just about to begin the physical therapy portion of her recovery, but... In order to set that up, we had to make this seemingly endless round of trips to the hospital as each of the doctors that had a hand in, in her procedure had to first run tests and then sign off on the idea that Nancy was well enough in her recovery to begin physical therapy. And I, long story short, Drew, I hate modern medicine. You know, I, I never want to go back to a hospital. And so uh, long story short, folks, don't ever get sick. Don't ever get old because you don't want to go to a hospital. <laughs> anyway. It's not like Drew hasn't been busy while we haven't been recording. I mean, you you did a coffee with Kenobi with with Dan's air, right? Oh, I did. Yeah. So if you need a if you need a fix of me, you can go over there. Um, we were just talking about Comic Con and D twenty three and all sorts of stuff. Cool. Now, now speaking of which, you again, you were also down in San Diego for for Comic Con this year, though. As you were arriving, they were doing the duck. Tales panel, right? Or? Yeah, people were sending me like text messages of like images that were being revealed at the DuckTales panel um, as I was coming in. And for good reason. I mean, did you see some of the artwork that they released? Well, I, you know, I, <laughs> you know, for years I have seen cute little wuzzles. And what did you think of the new. <laughs> <laughs> the show's new take on the Wuzzles, which, again, I, I think a, a nightmare fuel for, for children throughout the world. <laughs> so I, I thought they were pretty cool. Mm. Uh, I also thought it was pretty interesting. Did you see that Goofy is going to be a part of the show? Goofy's going to be part of the show. Tailspin's going to be part of the Tailspin, show. Tailspin, Chip and Dale. Yeah, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. As a fan of the Disney afternoon back in the day, I, I love this idea, but... How much meta is meta here? Do you think this is is too much fan servicing or I don't know. It looks like to, to me they're kind of doing like a Disney afternoon shared universe mm-hmm. kind of situation. Okay. And I wonder if anything will be spun off from DuckTales. Okay. I mean the art style is there, the storytelling is there. I mean you and I love DuckTales and as you've seen on Twitter and like mm-hmm. people just coming up to us, they they blame us for them watching Ducktales mm-hmm. now, which mm-hmm. I'm very happy about. I feel like we are we are like evangelizing Ducktales every week. So and, and I can't don't get me wrong, I love what they've done so far. I just what but would you know, when they released that poster, which literally showed this tidal wave of, of characters falling out of the sky, it was like woof. I, I just worry with all of these characters coming in. There's there's a lot of story to service here already. I mean, we we have Della back on Earth, we have Donald back on the Moon, and and I I really want to see what happens next with the whole Darkwing Duck thing. I mean, I I love how Jim Cummings has gone from being the voice of Darkwing Duck from the Disney Afternoon version to now in the mythos that we're carving out for the, the DuckTales reboot, you know, he's sorry if this is a spoiler to anyone, but now he's, he's going to be voicing Negaduck. Yeah. And that was really, that was a great twist. That was, that was a killer twist, you know, and just, I can't wait to see where that goes. And, and look, while we're talking about huge voice talents, like Jim Cummings, I guess we have to acknowledge that, you know, in between the last time we recorded shows, 
Drew, we lost a, a genuine Disney legend, we, a Rusi Taylor. And yeah, very sad. Yeah, what's fascinating to me is how Rusi got the gig. Disney <laughs> was in the middle of this is what eighty six. Uh, Michael Eisner has come through the door in in eighty four thereabouts, and they're they're looking for ways to make the, the Disney characters more popular. And this is, you know, MTV is taking off, and you know here you know here are all these these powerful females you know uh, doing. Stuff from TV, uh, Madonna, uh, 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 Cindy Lauper, and the like, and somebody at Disney makes a decision that Minnie should be like that. Um, so they bring in, uh, they decide they're they're, they're going to do this thing called Totally Minnie, where they're going to revamp her look and you know revamp the character. And Rusi comes in during that period and auditions for the role and. They, there's something about what she does that they like, and they think, okay, this is there'll be a fun new modern take on Minnie. The interesting thing is, in a very short window of time, Disney made this decision about the characters. In fact, this is a really it's a, it's a credit to Rick Dempsey. Did did you ever get to meet Rick when you were at the company, Drew? No, I never met him. Okay, well, Rick was the gentleman who was in charge of. Uh, let me see if I get the name right here. The Disney Character Voice Department, which is still a department in the company. Yeah, well, well, because of of and and but this was the thing. The thinking was at that point that you know, for example, if if Consumer Products was going to put a talking Mickey doll out, they had an actor that they went to. If they the parks were doing a parade, uh, there was a another voice actor they went to to get Mickey's voice. Uh, if the you know the ice shows. You know, uh, needed a Mickey. There was another, and it's just the notion was there was a lack of consistency with the character, and and Rick sort of rammed through the idea of look, look, in order for the character to be strong and consistent, we need one person voicing the character, and so inside of a single four year period, they locked in in '83 Wayne Allwayne is the voice of Mickey. In 1985, Tony Ensemble became. The voice of Donald, uh, 1986, they brought in Rusi to do Minnie, and finally in 1987, here comes Bill Farmer, and he ends up as the voice of Goofy. And the interesting thing is, while totally Minnie flamed out relatively shortly, people just loved working with Rusi. They loved her good humor, her professionalism, you know, the, the unique spin she put on lines for Minnie and that sort of thing, and she just, she, she stuck. And... More to the point, at, you know, as she was standing there in the recording booth, you know, recording stuff for the parks or consumer products, and typically she was, you know, because again, it's 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 Mickey and Minnie, and she worked side by side with Wayne, and by 1991, they were not only a couple, they they got married, and mm-hmm. <laughs> which then started an inter- interesting chapter in their lives because. Disney, did, did you hear about this story that, that Disney wouldn't allow them to reveal that they'd been married for five years? No, I had no idea. They just figured it's like, you know, in fact, have you seen the, the item in the past week or so? I, I want to say the, the woman who plays the co-captain of the Orville and one of the supporting cast members, that they got married and two months later they're getting divorced. And oh so it's going to be an interesting set, you know, come season three. <laughs> but that was the fear of Disney. That is, oh, God, this is going to be a Hollywood marriage. And that in a couple of years, they're going to split. And that'll be the headlines, you know, Mickey and Minnie divorce. 
but no, they were the real thing. They, 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 you know. And by '96, the company was comfortable enough. Like, okay, you're a thing. We can, we can talk about this now. I got lucky enough to inter- interview Wayne and Rusi, and they talked about the one of the more interesting aspects of their job was they'd have somebody from like consumer products come through with copy for a commercial or that sort of thing, and you know, it's like Mickey Hawking Auto Parts or something like that, and. You know, they had to figure out a way gently, because, of course, these are the people who are signing their check, you know, to the effect of, I don't think Mickey would say that, and then work with them to try to find a way to, you know, how would Mickey say this? You know, because Mickey isn't necessarily a salesman, or, or, or likewise many. And anyway, we jump ahead to 2009. Wayne passes due to complications from diabetes and Rusi actually, you know, obviously was devastated at the loss of her husband and gave some thought to sort of hanging up her spurs, uh, you know, deciding that, you know, maybe I don't want to continue on as, as many. But eventually she returned uh, behind the mic and and Wayne was such a huge talent that they actually needed two people to replace him. They brought in Brett Iwen. He would, he's the one who does the more straightforward Mickey, the Mickey that you hear in, say, Roadster Racers or or the, you know, the Ice Capades or, or that sort of thing. Whereas it's Chris Diamopoulos. Am I saying that name right? Or? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Chris is from the... From Silicon Valley. Yeah. I cannot believe that it's the same person from Silicon Valley. Well, that do, or, or for that matter, from the, the, the Three Stooges reboot, the, the yes, model. Yes, exactly. You know, and, but Chris honestly is is my favorite Mickey right now. I mean, he just... I agree, I agree. You know, the, the work that he does on, on the Paul Rudder shorts, you know, and those, they've only been producing those since 2013. And in fact, that, that honestly, I'm happy that Rusi hung in there long enough that the Paul Rudder shorts became a reality because I, from what I heard from Bill Farmer, they just loved working on the shorts that Paul put together because they walked into it. They never, you know, after years of predictable patter for the parks and parades and consumer products, the the crazy stuff that they got to say for the shorts and the, the weird situations they got dropped in, you know, it was a constantly a, a creative challenge and, you know, something they really, really enjoyed doing. And uh, look, Rusi clearly had fans at, at television animation. They loved her work. And in fact, I can't help but think, given the timing of things, it, just before we, we started recording today, Drew, you got to see the latest Oh, Mickey Mouse short carried away. Yeah, which was lovely. Yeah, and it just what's kind of interesting about this short is it 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 it's literally Rusi singing through ninety percent of the short. She's singing this brand new song called "Carried Away," and I I can't help given that this became available for downloading on Friday, the day before Rusi passed. I'm just wondering if if maybe somebody in Paul Reddish's team knew about health issues because I hadn't heard a word. No, yeah, she ended up dying of complications from cancer, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah. So In Glendale, mm-hmm. which is you know right around where I live okay. currently. Okay. So yeah. maybe you know that maybe they got the heads up and and selected the short to put out because it's interesting. 
you can now also find online the a version of the song that Rusi sang with it, where they remove all of Mickey's screams and and the sounds of the piranha feeding frenzy. But um, <laughs> but yeah, if you haven't seen the short, folks, check it out. Or likewise, chase down uh, Rusi singing. It, it's well worth it, and and take some comfort in that. We haven't heard her last performance yet. You know, the, the what is it? it May mm-hmm. of next year? Did they're going to be opening um, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw, did you see online there were like pictures of her in the recording booth for that? Yeah. yeah. I think that must have been, that must have been her last big project for the studio. Okay. I'm okay. guessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. You know, we're not just losing Minnie here, folks. We, we you know, it's, it's also Baby Gonzo from the hand-drawn Muppet Babies, uh, Simpsons. We lose Martin Price, Sherry and Terry, and Uger. I, you know, in fact, I, I love that Al Jean, the longtime producer of The Simpsons, made a point of tweeting out a, a tribute to Rusi. And you, you were mentioning before we get started here, also, she's in a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff that Disney sort of redubbed, right? Or? Yeah, yeah. She was in a lot of the localized versions of Studio Ghibli movies which is really an, another sort of amazing contribution to the legacy of of animation and and her voice legacy obviously but you know I love I love anything 80s mm-hmm. Disney and so I love that she was brought in for the totally mini project which is very much worth checking out there are some really bizarre oh, videos sort of oh. introducing this concept to people as you as you know yeah um, still on YouTube but I love that she came in on that kind of bizarre mm-hmm project and then ended up staying and becoming this kind of like i mean a whole generation's uh voice of of many too i mean even when they did i was going to talk about this was the um get a horse mm-hmm. and they had walt you know they had all the walt dialogue for for mickey but Minnie was still rusi which i thought was really that's interesting right. and great that's so right. she recorded new dialogue yeah holy cow oh my so, god i forgot about that yeah, yeah. oh geez now yeah. again just a huge, huge loss, folks. So, okay, so we moving on from a tragedy to, well, a tragedy. Let so Drew, let's talk about this Cats trailer. I, <laughs> when did you get to see this? I saw it the the night that it it premiered. I I as my social media duties for Movie Phone uh, command. I am on top of every trailer and and every trailer launch and. Um, so I had seen the behind-the-scenes footage, which you had also seen, I'm sure, the day before, where they said, oh, this is going to be super realistic fur technology. But then you watch the trailer, and you notice, and I'm sure you know people who aren't animation fans notice, mm. that these characters are completely performance capture. Mm. I mean, there is no layer of animation, and it just looks bizarre. Like... I don't know. I just don't know what the point of it was. I don't know what the point of doing performance capture is if you're just going to make them look like humans in, you know, big coats like they are on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm still curious. I'm still. I'm Tom Hooper is not a favorite director of mine, but I. Uh, I'm curious. I'm very curious. Okay. No, I. I. You know, and I guess. <laughs> to a very mild defense here. It's like, look, if if you're hiring Taylor Swift or, or Jennifer Hudson or a Dame Judy Dench and, you know, to to be in, you know, your big screen musical, 
you want people to see the, the your movie stars. Also, when you think about the stage version of Cats, which, just to give you some perspective here, folks, the London version opened in May of 1981 and ran for 19 years. The Broadway version opened in 82 and ran for 18 years. So, you know, a lot of people went to go see this show of people on stage dressed as cats with, you know, elaborate makeups and that sort of thing. So the thinking was, well, there's already an audience out there that's seen this show sort of like this. Right. So I, I, I get the idea. I just... It, the execution, and again, I guess, you know, the once again, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, it's just the trailer. You know, it's only two minutes. You know, maybe we need to see this in context. Well, but you and I also remember when Steven Spielberg was trying to do an actual animated <sighs> And now you're going to break my heart. Yes, yes. Gambling Mation. Uh, what, this was mid 90s early 90s right uh. yeah during it's uh, the article i see is uh, early 90s and it was to be directed by simon wells mm-hmm. and phil nibblink and then i guess when amblimation shut down in 97 mm-hmm. the project was just abandoned but if you look at the trailer or look at this new catch you'll see that it is produced by amblin which leads me to believe that they retained the rights this whole time. But you can find concept art, and it is pretty amazing oh, what they were going to do. It's gorgeous. It just, you know, and in fact, if you drill down into it, Spielberg, for example, insisted that the story was going to be set just after the Blitz in London. So there were, you know, in the heart of London, you had all of this destruction. And, and you know, but at the same time, you had these these pristine buildings standing out, you know, in the middle of of the war zones. And it gave it a distinct time period, a distinct feel. Again, it just, it kind of breaks your heart that they got this close. I mean, there's, uh, you know, if you drill down, there's character model sheets for like McCaverty and, you know, and that sort of thing. They they had a, a, a way into the material. Yeah, and if you want, Hans Bacher put up a bunch of his. Oh um, God, yeah, yeah. Sort of production design mm. notes, which again is you know mirroring the um, the post Blitz setting, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, if you don't know Hans Bacher, he did character design for Hercules and Lion King and, oh, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. these other Mulan, and you know, so it, it's amazing. You gotta wonder, because remember, on you know, on the other side of this. You know, Universal is getting serious finally about the uh, the movie version of Wicked, and you gotta wonder on the heels of the response to doing something like Cats, which is trying to sort of work that Venn diagram of a movie that is still somehow faithful to what the Broadway musical looked like. You gotta wonder what's going to happen with Wicked on the other side of this if, if this doesn't connect. Um, well, is there still talk of turning the Marvel land into Wicked and there, Islands of Adventure? Yeah, you know, that that's... I get it, it, the interesting thing is, again, with if you think about the endgame pile of money that they have to now move to make room for the Aladdin pile of money and the, the, you know, the Lion King pile of money, each you know each time disney does something like this merges with a a 20th century fox or that sort of thing you end up with you know instead of an 800 pound gorilla an 8000 pound gorilla and 
evidently there continue to be back channel discussions about what is it exactly we need to do to finally get you guys to surrender the rights to you know the theme park rights to marvel in the states and then of course you know universal would have to reinvent that area and they and, it, and again given that they actually built a wicked land in a temporary show that was kind of a cut down version of wicked for universal studios japan it, it's there's a precedent but yeah it's just it's it's one of these things where it's like they haven't reached those terms yet disney doesn't have the bright enough bobble yet to dangle in front of comcast but that doesn't mean it it isn't going to happen anytime soon and, and, and speaking though of 20th century fox just today as as drew and i were getting to record a variety broke news that the layoffs continue as they consolidate as they merge the two companies and several dozen folks who work in visual effects were let go and in fact since we've been away uh drew uh andy andrea milaro uh the co-president of fox animation stepped in did you see that or yeah i did and she was it was weird though because they were describing her as as not only the co-president of fox animation but like the head of blue sky Mm mm-hmm which I thought was interesting because, you know, I used to live in Fairfield, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Blue Skies in Greenwich, I would go there a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was interesting. Her her letter was really interesting, if you want to... Do you want to read that? Yeah, okay. And, okay, so this is her goodbye memo, and it reads as follows. I am writing today with some news that is difficult to share, but I wanted you to hear it from me. I will be leaving Blue Sky. Two years ago, we began a journey to elevate and evolve this vibrant studio. We embarked on a robust development slate, attracting new talent and pushing forward with technology to support the storytelling. Blue Sky has always been a force for powerful family entertainment, and for the past 10 years, I have loved being part of the family. While this is the end of my Blue Sky journey, I know that the studio will continue to surpass the very high expectations we set out for ourselves. Thanks for so many wonderful memories, and I wish everyone the very best. And it's important to note here that her co-president, Robert Baird, is remaining at the studio. And and it's, this has got to be... It, this is weird timing, Drew. I mean, just there's no other way to describe this. Because face it, you know, Spies in Disguise, which you and I have, have talked about in the past because it's pushed its release date, and they just brought in Mark Ronson to overhaul the music, and it's just been announced, uh, in fact, back on July 23rd, that Reba McIntyre and Rachel Branahan will be coming in to do, add to the voice cast of, of Spies in Disguise, and I think you were talking about, you know, as we were pre-gaming, that you know, this movie was supposed to have been out months ago, um, and so the fact that yeah, the fact that they're adding people to the cast is like, oh my god, yeah. what what shape is this thing in? Well, you know, but but again, you know, it just look, you know, I, I think to put a positive spin on this, the fact that Disney is still plussing the project as it 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 tries to evaluate where exactly Blue Sky fits in with the whole, you know, the Disney Plus world, you know, with this whole streaming service launching on you know November twelfth. And, and look, it certainly doesn't hurt Spies in Disguise that it's coming on the heels of of the Guy Ritchie live-action imagining of Aladdin, as, as I, I think we just mentioned, that, you know, just made a billion dollars. So, you know, and that starred Will Smith, and Will Smith is the voice of Lance Sterling in Spies in Disguise. So, you know, that gives you, you know, something to promote the, the star of this billion-dollar film. You know, it is voicing an animated character in our, you know, our Christmas Day release. Uh, 
But on the other hand, Aladdin took months to reach that billion dollar thing, whereas John Favreau's Lion King did it in under two weeks. Is that correct, Drew? Or yeah, well, I mean, and I don't think anyone at the studio thought that it was going to make that much money. No, I, I, th- I, I mean, I thought they, I think they were probably hoping to clear five hundred. So the fact that it cleared a billion is pretty astounding. Well, but a lot of that again is overseas. That this thing went from having legs to like sequoias. You know, just it was kind of startling. Speaking of Will Smith, though, was it this week that you got to see the twenty minutes from from Gemini Man? Or last week? Last uh, week, I okay. did. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, you know, I know we've talked about this project uh, earlier on on fine tuning, folks. But this is the film that that genuinely blurs the line when it becomes comes to live action and you know what you can do photorealistically uh with character doubling here and, and tell you what when we get back from the break drew's going to share everything he learned about the, this upcoming on me film okay and we're back but before we we get started talking about uh, gemini man which again cutting edge at least effects wise a thriller about a government assassin and his clone i wanted to Correct. give a quick nod to archer which just this past week uh, wrapped up its 10th season. And I, I got to tell you, Drew, I did, did you catch any of the run for t- season 10, the whole... No, I mean, I, I've been very fascinated with the fact that the show has been switching formats every season, seemingly, for the past few years. Yeah, um, three years now. But have not now. kept up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Adam Reed and company, the, the show's creator, did a bang-up job to, to sort of you know, slide back in to where we left off after again three seasons of of swapping up the uh, swapping at the firm. We had what the season where you know Archer was a, a, a film noir detective in '40s Hollywood. We had uh, uh, him playing a pilot and sort of a, an adventure serial from the '30s, and finally again the uh, you know the the co captain of a ship in deep space. Uh, well, again, 1999, you know, with the Archer 1999 to, to give you some idea of the time frame and the, the show design. And uh, at the tail end of this episode, Archer came out of his coma. And the thing is, they're going real time. He's been in a coma for three years and the world has changed. You know, the, the, a lot of the other characters in the show have moved on. And that, for me, is what's going to make the season 11, which gets started uh, late next spring uh, going to be fascinating but again uh, three years is nothing compared to the 22 years that Gemini Man has been in development I mean uh, look folks Drew and I have talked previously about this project that did uh, what is it started in 97 at Disney Secret Lab it was a project that they tried to build around Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford Sean Connery even I guess Clint Eastwood which uh, that I find really, really fascinating. But but Disney kept making runs at this for 20-plus for years until finally they gave up and sold the film rights in 2016 to Skydance Media. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in October of 2017, uh, Skydance brings Ang Lee in to direct, um, which I get, you know, from, what was it, Life of Pi... Yeah, uh, you know, this is a guy who you know is is comfortable in, a, in an effects heavy movie, but can also get a an amazing performance out of actors. But 
So anyway, it, it shot last year between February through May, and it's basically been in post ever since, right? Yeah, he was there along with Bruckheimer and, and Will Smith, and he said he just finally approved the first shot that went into the post-production pipeline, like that week Holy or something. Holy cow, really? Yeah, yeah, and it comes out in October, so hopefully those oh. shots will be coming in a little bit quicker. But oh, um, no. yeah, I wanted to tell everybody if they want to see some development stuff from the original version, ch- Google or type into YouTube Human Face Project. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure you've seen this video. Oh, of the kind of like yeah. attempt. At, it's actually it's not bad. No, I mean, it, no. Not... If if you put it in context, if you put it, you know, if you you understand at that time this was the best they could do in the and, and remember, you know, this is Secret Lab. These these are people who were working on what at that point is the cutting edge. But you know, we're still you know. Well, look, how many times did you hear on Kenny Valley when you were? You know, at this presentation last week. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the thing that they stressed more than anything else is that this is not digital de-aging. Mm-hmm. This is not what Marvel does. This is a completely CGI character. And it was created by Weta. They referred to the younger version of Will Smith. Did, did you talk about what the movie's about? Because it's, it's about, like, a younger clone, Will Smith's clone coming to kill him. They're both hitmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said what was interesting was they, of course, cast the one actor who hasn't aged in 25 years. <laughs> so he actually, as his as his like main performance, yeah. he had to go look older. They put more gray. They let his gray show up in his temples and in his beard. They kind of like put some crow's feet in there to try to make him actually look older. And the other thing about this movie that is very jarring Mm -hmm. is that it is shot in 120 frames per second 3d now i don't know if any of our listeners saw the hobbit when it was released i think the first one was in 48 Mm. frames and the second two were in 60 frames Mm -hmm. so this is twice as high a frame rate as the highest hobbit Mm -hmm. movie so it doesn't really look like a movie i mean it looks like you opened a window and looked outside. There's no motion blurring, which is such a tenant of animation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think you and I have talked about the like hand painted motion blurring mm-hmm. in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where they would literally just paint smudges mm-hmm. in every time that they would move, which is so great, but there's none of that. So that I went to a VFX presentation after the footage and they said that they're basically, it's like 30% more pixels or something. Uh, they have to render because you're seeing so much more of the character. Wow. Which is insane. So they showed three scenes Mm -hmm. and the third scene, uh, the third scene was this really emotional scene with the character and it it was very affecting. I mean, it was a very emotional Ang Lee scene, but with a computer generated Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Um, The second scene was this fight in the catacombs and during the VFX presentation, what was really interesting was they said, you know, at a certain point, we just, uh, we just replaced both of the Will Smiths. So it was literally two computer-generated Will Smiths fighting underground in a catacomb. And, I mean, the entire approach to the movie is different because of the 120 frames per per second. The lighting is different. The exposure is different. The framing is different. I mean, it is really some next-level stuff. I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer compared it from film going to black and white to color, which I'm not sure I totally agree with, Mm -hmm. but... um, 
I'm very interested to see how it's going to look finished. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like a movie we've ever seen. And it was really interesting going from that in the morning and then later in the afternoon, I had a screening of the new Tarantino movie, which is shot in 35. It was projected in 35. It was this beautiful kind of velvety, you know, experience. And Gemini Man was just really crisp and kind of jarring. And I'm I'm very eager to see it, mm-hmm. but I just don't know how well it's going to come off. But the effects are beautiful. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Hmm. I really, I don't know. But I'm very curious just to see more footage and to see, see the final version, see what people think about it. Like, one... How many theaters are going to be equipped with this? Well, that's that's my first question. I mean, remember when The Hobbit came out and, you know, the, the, the pushback that got. I mean, obviously, yeah. we're in a much different place. You know, if you think about how many theaters now in the country are, you know, uh, you know digital projection and that sort of thing. And, and Yeah, but I think that they have to have some kind of special apparatus. Because remember, you, I'm sure you remember when The Hobbit came out and you would go into New York and see, like, subway abs mm-hmm. where it would say, like, rapid frame rate projection or something. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, but where can I see this? And then the other thing is, like, with the amount of people that watch things at home, either on Blu-ray or streaming, will how is this going to work, you know... Uh, on uh, home video. Like, is it just going to look completely different? I'm just, it's very interesting to, I I really appreciate Ang Lee trying to get people into the theater. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea and a great instinct, but it's just, it seems short-sighted to create a movie that you can only see in such a narrow and specific way. You, You know what I mean? Like, in New Hampshire, is there 120 frames a second, you know? projector and a three you know i don't know I, no you, and, you and, tell and me you know? no that that that's it exactly and but but at the same time i, I face it somebody's gotta make the path you know it's it's like who was the first person who bought the first portable phone you know back in the day when it was the size of a shoebox you know i mean if if this is where movie making is eventually going to go you know this this frame rate Somebody's got to be the first out of the gate, and well, and we we know that the the Avatar sequels are being shot in 120 frames. That's an so. excellent point. That's an excellent point. So if there's somebody that can motivate people to change the format. Mm-hmm. It's Disney, yeah. as we've known. I mean, Walt Disney basically created the color television craze, mm-hmm. as we've talked about before. So I mean, if there's anybody that can do it, it's them. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where. Where this goes, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, Jim, when you finally get to see oh, more of this. Cannot wait to see it. And speaking of things, I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing. You know, this show when it drops on Tuesday the sixth, you folks are going to have to play catch up at this point because uh, Cartoon Network's next big programming event, Infinity Train, uh, will actually have debuted on Monday, August fifth. But this is by Owen Dennis, writer and storyboard artist at uh, who did the regular show. And what's kind of interesting is from friends in the industry, if, if you, you've been hearing this is what I've been hearing, that a lot of people are making the comparison to Over the Garden Wall. Yes. And from what I understand, this, this was done pretty quickly after <laughs> Over the Garden Wall. I don't know why it's, it's uh, taken so long to air, but I think you and I are both 
very excited that it's uh, actually going to air. Well, you know, it, it's funny you say that it, because, again, you know, that if you drill down that this supposedly, you know, initially they were talking about this airing uh, in 2016 and here we are in 2019. It finally bubbles up. And at the same time, this runs through the 9th and on August 9th, in fact, you and I have talked about this, Drew, the, the, the Rocco's Modern World Static Cling finally becomes available for streaming on Netflix. And uh, same thing. This one has been in the can for quite some time. So, you know, I just I, I'm would, would love it if somebody wants to come forward and share about, you know, what happened with both Infinity Train and, and Static Cling. Why? Well, I mean, I think your theory on it, Static Cling is probably correct, <laughs> which is that they got to look at a hour-long Rocco special and said, who is this for exactly? <laughs> well, in the, year, in the year of our Lord 2019. Well, well, speaking of, and don't get me wrong, look, you and I both love Kennedy Tartakovsky. You know, oh, and, you genius. Know, it, yeah, no, absolutely. But, but the trailer that's out for Primal right now where the, the the dinosaurs fight and one literally takes the snout off of one of the others and there's blood and things fall over and that's it. I mean, it's it's amazing animation and I I understand this is running during Adult Swim, so in theory, impressionable children are you know, you know are not going to be impacted by this. But as an impressionable adult, I was like, whoa, you know, um, Jim, this is what happens when you're forced to make three Hotel Transylvania movies in a row. You ah. got some stuff pent up. You know what I mean? You gotta let it you gotta let it out, you know? So Oh, oh so so that, that, so this is what you're saying is this is therapy for Kennedy. Yes, know? yes. Just sort of like wow. This just, is just raw raw it is primal. I mean I thought that footage looked amazing. Oh, no, no, I no. love that shot of the caveman swinging his arm around. Oh god yeah. It, it, I mean it's just pure animation he swings his arm around towards camera mm-hmm. and then knocks into a dinosaur's leg mm-hmm. and it is it is one of the most beautiful pieces of character animation i've seen in a long time i um, i totally agree that i'm not knocking the craft but but i <laughs> wow I, you know I, I i love your take on this because now when i see that footage with the snout being ripped off i'm just going to picture this is this is Kennedy dealing with Every Sony, you know, animation executive was like, "Yeah, yeah, about that scene." <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, you know? that, yeah. That's him responding to, "Oh, Popeye is canceled." Okay, all right, I'm gonna take it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love your take. Oh. <laughs> I, I get, well, speaking of loving your take, I, I, I've, I've so been enjoying about you know what you guys have been doing with Light Diffuse and. So we're headed summer into fall. What have we, what have we got uh, prepping? Yeah, look I mean, ahead? we're hopefully going to have some more. I mean, I, I talked to to Hans Zimmer about coming on the show, so hopefully he'll come on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of really big people that are, like, on the cusp of coming on the show mm-hmm. but have yet to, like, formally sign on, so I don't want to give away the store okay. quite yet. But we've got some great interviews this week. We're talking to a, a guy named Mikey Newman who's a great video essayist on YouTube and just did a really cool um, video about Mission Impossible. So we talked to him about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've recorded a bunch. We talked to Carly um, Wiesel, a friend of of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Who came on uh, Touring Plans. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, she is. We talk about the 
uh, proposed Paramount Parks in London and Korea. Oh, and we God, talk about yes. what we want out of a, mm-hmm. a Mission Impossible themed area. And so that's really fun. And then on our Patreon, she tells us a story about going to the Conan O'Brien show taping at San Diego where Tom Cruise was there. Um, and so that's really fun. So, yeah, listen to Light the Fuse uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review. And if you are feeling very generous, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Light the Fuse. So, um, yeah. Anything um, helps? No, that, that no, it's all good, good stuff. And, and oh, that... Oh, can't wait to hear the Carly stuff. I, I, I love her. Okay. On my side of the fence, it's the usual pile of crud here, folks. We've got the Disney dish that I do with Len Testo, where we look at the Disney parks. Uh, we have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zare, and we talk about all of the Star Wars-related stuff that's going on out there. Marvel Us Disney, which I do in Aaron Adams, obviously looks at the... Marvel Studios side of the fence, Universal Joint, uh, which I do with Dustin Fuse, and there's no Universal knows what we're talking about. Oh, there's some epic news, Jim. Oh, oh yes, that. Oh, yes, okay, yes, well, yeah. well, we'll get to that on our next show, and and then we have, in fact, just this weekend, we're recording a brand new episode of I Want That with Cheryl Valladolid, and it was just... Speaking at, of therapy. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I, by the way... Uh, if you, if if ever I've seen a toy that needs therapy, we were in the Disney store outlet at in Merrimack, New Hampshire, just yesterday, and saw the the toys that the talking Nala toy that's been created for the John Favreau Lion King, and oh my God, Drew, this this thing is the the stuff of nightmares. You know, it, it literally it, it talks, but it has a mouthful of serrated teeth. So, you know, the perfect thing to put in a child's crib. It's like, Mommy and Daddy oh. love you. <laughs> you know, and please try not to get eaten by the mechanical lion. Oh, yeah. They gave us one at the junket. <laughs> it's still in the box. I mean, the only thing that I th- can think to do with it is scare the dog. And I don't think that's, a, <laughs> there we I don't go. Think that's an altruistic uh, endeavor to use that toy. <laughs> I, I was about to say, you know, that Nova, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that, that you, if you want to put Nova back into therapy, uh, that's the right. toy to break out. So, well, <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we, we'll talk more about horrifying toys on our, our, our next episode, folks. But for now, uh, on behalf of Mr. Taylor, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.